All right. Well, before we get going, I want to promote uh, a program to our menfolk. So you ladies, you can close your ears for a little while if you want to. Uh, about five years ago, um, I, along with uh, my friend Ben Steiger, who's the founder and president of Heart of the Outdoors. Heart of the Outdoors is a, is a ministry that's a ministry partner of us here at Grace Chapel. But Ben and I created this program called Blood Brothers. And Blood Brothers is a, uh, a discipleship program for men. Uh, groups of eight to 12 guys get together and uh, do this six-month journey together from May through October. They meet once a month um, from May to October. And during those meetings, there's a, a physical group kind of fun challenge like playing paintball or doing canoe jousting wars or just some fun, fun outdoors kind of thing. And then that's followed by a lesson and then an individual challenge to do during the month um, in between meetings. And uh, so we call these groups braids. And we started out with one braid, then we had three, then we had nine, then we had 20. And, and uh, on year five, we hope that there are over 20 of these uh, braids meeting around the region and even in other states. And so we're putting together uh, our braid for our Grace Chapel braid for this season. So I want you to watch this video and, and uh, just a disclaimer. This, the, the testimonies on the video just happened to be filmed at this time where we were doing this. Uh, this target shooting contest. So try to get past the fact that there's gunfire in the back. This program doesn't have it. You know, it's, it's not all about guns and all that. It's just that it, does, it just happens to be filmed at that time. So watch these and just pay attention to the, the testimonials. What I think about the concept is that it's, a, it's an awesome way to grow your faith in a very natural setting that uh, is relaxed and comfortable and encouraging. And uh, it's just been awesome to know that other men are going through the same thing that I am. You know, there's so many things in society these days that, you know, what is really a man and people don't even have a clue what a man is. But when you bring, you know, Christ into the picture and what that means, you know, it's just So we have fun blowing up stuff, too. So but anyway, uh, Blood Brothers Braid is uh, from Grace Chapel is forming right now. And Tim Jarrett, with the help of uh, his dad, Brent, and a couple other guys are going to lead our braid. And so if you're interested in hearing more about that, there's information on the uh, ministry events table right out here. Pick up one of those things. And uh, we're, we're putting that braid together, like even as we speak. Um, also, I just wanted to um, embarrass my wife a little bit, Kim. 
If you don't know, she's the one that uh, keyboard up here. But uh, 29 years ago today, May 17, 1986, Kim won the relationship lottery by saying I do to me. So I have to apologize because in today's sermon, there is no uh, Kevin, you're a moron story. And instead, I'm substituting Kevin, you're a real nerd uh, by describing some of the events uh, at the wedding and, and beyond. So uh, a lot of these things say more about her and her willingness or <laughs> gullibility or something to go along with. So, Kevin, you're a nerd. So I talked her into I, uh, a morning Wedding. She's, she's like, she tells me all the time, if we were to do this again, it would be completely different because I wouldn't go along with all that shenanigans. So I talked her into this morning. I was like, I don't want to wait all day long. I just want to get up and go do it. Okay. So I talked her into bologna sandwiches at the reception instead of like fancy food. And, uh, and then, uh, we were going to go to Colorado to, uh, for our honeymoon to Rocky Mountain National Park. Estes Park is the town nearby, has really cool hotels and lots of lodges and stuff. No, Kevin talks her into camping on uh, on our honeymoon. So uh, so our car, you can see our car, 1982 Chevy Cavalier station wagon. OK, now that's a happening car right there. So uh, I clocked that thing zero to 60 in 36 seconds. I mean, it had like a turbo booster. In, you know, so um, we were going to go camping. So, Colorado, Rocky Mountain National Park, surely there's no firewood in Colorado. So, I loaded the back of that station wagon with about 400 pounds of firewood and drove it to Colorado. Surely there's no firewood in Colorado, in the mountains. So, uh, anyway, she tells me every day, if we were to do it all over again, we would not do it like that. So, anyway, Kevin, you're a real nerd. All right, so uh, today um, I, I want to try to do something to create a little bit of a different atmosphere today. Instead of just standing up preaching at you, um, I want us to have like a little kind of a family get-together, family meeting session. Um, those of you who know me uh, well know that I'm a, uh, a ponderer, okay? Again, Kim's always... You know, I'm real quiet in the next room and she'll come in and say, are you all right? And I'm like, yeah, now I'm pondering. You know, I'm looking up at the sky thinking. And I'm a real ponderer. And so I want you to ponder with me today. I want you to just to do some what if thinking. So that's going to be the theme of today's uh, uh, talk is what if. So we're going to pause a couple of times in between and then at the end do some serious what if thinking. Um, this is This is based out of a uh, what I'm going to call a um, a real holy bumps puzzle that has been a part of my life for about the last year. Okay, my friend Bryn coined this phrase "holy bumps." You know when you when something is really cool and you get chill bumps or goosebumps, and you're like, "Ooh, that's cool." But when it has something to do with a spiritual context or a God, something that God did, "Ooh, then I got holy bumps." And uh, some, some, every once in a while, Ben will say something, and Ben will say, "Ooh, I just got holy bumps." Okay, so this uh, this little three piece puzzle for me was like a holy bumps puzzle that had three little pieces, and it's come together for me. Uh, over the last year. And so I want to relive that with you and uh, to and encourage us to um, p- 
put those pieces together and and they they'll seem kind of disjointed at first on the surface. But that's why we ponder stuff, right, Uh, to put them all together. Okay, so uh, piece number one, I'm going to call ancient man. Okay, this first piece um, came to me during a conversation uh, with Joe Boone. Joe Boone and his wife were longtime regular attenders of Grace Chapel and uh, just moved down to northern Kentucky just a, a few months ago. Joe is, um, I don't know exactly what his title is, but he's like second man in charge, you know, number two head honcho down at uh, the Creation Museum and Answer in Genesis Ministry. And uh, he and I were talking one day about a year ago about this concept and it has to do with ancient man. And uh, so that was the first puzzle that started me kind of pondering and then these little kind of fell into place leading up to about two weeks ago. Okay, so we're going to talk about ancient man. Let me ask you this question. Do you believe, do you truly, really, 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 really believe down deep in your soul that God created man? Okay. That's a question that I don't think should go unanswered in a Christian's heart. Do you really, really, really believe that God in the beginning created the heavens and the earth and the water and the sky and the land and the vegetation on it and then the birds of the air and then the fish of the sea and animals that roamed the land? And when he was finished creating what we call the outdoors, he spoke into existence and said, here's man. So one day, no man and woman. Next day, us. Do you really, really, really believe that? And I asked that question, and in church, you're like, well, duh, except there's a problem. I suspect, I've been in ministry a long, long time, traveled a lot, spoken, hung out with people in many parts of the the world, and I suspect that, I don't know if if I want to say most or many or what, but I suspect that a lot of even Christians, if you would really nail them down, Many Christians would have an evolutionary view of man's uh, intellect and abilities and uh, accomplishments over the millennia. And and uh, so that question needs to be answered in your heart. Do you really, really, really believe that God created, you know, in our technologically advanced world? We have cell phones and smartphones that connect us to the world in unbelievable ways. And we have planes that can jet us off to far off places really quickly and. We can land a, ro- a, a rover on, on another planet. And those things have kind of convinced us that we are so intelligent and so way beyond what, what primitive man or what ancient, I'm going to say ancient man, was like. Do you really, really believe that God created? Here's, here's another question. Um, conjure up in your mind. If I were to say, picture in your mind God or Jesus. Okay, do that right now. Picture in your mind, God or Jesus, what does that picture look like? I would be I'm, I'm I would be willing to bet that that image is very royal, very priestly, very um, uh, sophisticated, very intelligent, very purpose driven. That image of God or Jesus in your head is 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 royal and priestly and nice. OK, now picture in your head what early man looks like. And I bet you this is what you get. Okay? You know, 
again, I'm a ponderer. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, what if I'm going through this in my head in a conversation with Joe and I'm thinking I, I just busted myself. I'm thinking when I think of when I picture an early man, ancient man, I get caveman in my head. I get ugga, ugga, fire good, water bad. Ooh, no, fire bad. You know, that's what a lot of us get when we picture ancient man. But is that really, really the case? We get Captain Caveman when we, when we picture early man, Adam and Eve. Let me read, you, read this verse to you that you're so familiar with, Genesis chapter 1. Here's another question for you. Do you really, 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 really believe that this is an historical document recording that creation? Or is this just nice words and this kind of cool? Okay, do you really, really? Okay, here's, here's chapter 1 of Genesis. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Okay? So, conversation with Joe went a little bit like this. He was telling me about the uh, position of answers in Genesis when it comes to ancient man. And uh, he was saying that in their view, in their research, in, the, in their position that they have down there, is that ancient man was much, much closer to the image of God than we are. Okay? We are way removed from the literal image of God. They were so much closer. They were the image of God as recorded in the Bible physically, emotionally, intellectually. You know, just imagine, put yourself in God's, in God's shoes. I don't know that he has shoes, but put yourself in God's position, okay? God existed endlessly in the past. God was and is and is to come. There was no beginning to God, okay? At some point, God said, I'm, one, I'm ready to create this world, this planet and the universe and the stars and the planets and, and all of that. I'm going to create this world. And I'm going to, at the very end of that creation, I am going to crown it with my pride and joy. And I'm going to call that creation man and woman. Okay? I've asked her to keep this up here. Because I want you, this is part of the pondering thing. I want you to think, open your eyes every once in a while and look at that. And I want you to be embarrassed like I was when I started thinking about this. And I want you to be convicted. Okay? So, God... In his sovereignty, in his immense creation, thinking, and power, creates. Okay? And, and he's saying, okay, at the end of creation, I am going to put my entire physical, emotional, mental, spiritual creativeness into building this thing I'm going to call man and woman. And it's going to be my children. And it's going to populate the earth. They're going to populate the earth and they are going to come back to me and we are going to live in an eternal relationship. I am going to pour my image into them. Do you really think that's what came out? Ooga booga fire good. I doubt it. I really, really doubt that that's what came out of God when he said, I created them in my image. And I have to confess, I, I really don't know what that image is like. That's part of our, that's why we're pondering. Okay. Let me read you a couple of uh, other scriptures. This uh, comes from chapter four of Genesis. 
Okay. Now, the particular dialogue here is referring to these men who lived about 125 years after creation. So creation happened about 6,000 years ago, a little more than 6,000 years ago, 400 or 4,000 something BC. Okay. And so this thing that we're reading now came 125 years after there was nothing. Okay. Listen to this. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who play the harp and the flute. Zyla also had a son, Tubal Cain, who forged all kinds of tools from bronze and iron. Let that sink in. That's the theme of today, one of the themes. Let it sink in. Okay? 125 years after there was nothing, you have a guy who is forging tools out of bronze and iron. Okay? If you dropped one of you or me into that situation, into creation... First of all, we wouldn't live more than a week. We would die because we wouldn't have to be able to survive. But second of all, there's no way in 125 years, given our intellect today, that we would be forging tools out of bronze and iron. First, you have to find it. First, you have to realize that you need it. Then you have to find something that can forge. I mean, think about it. Only 125 years after Adam and Eve, you have people forging tools out of iron and bronze. 2200 B.C., archaeologists have have evidence that 2200 years before Christ, that's more than 4000 years ago, people were using the chemical bitumen as a waterproofing agent and they were using drills for dentistry. Okay, 2000 years before Christ, 4000 years ago, the pyramids at Giza were constructed. Okay. There was to be a picture of the Great Pyramid of Giza up there. So just imagine. You've all seen pictures. You know, right? Just outside Cairo. Close your eyes. Picture the pyramids of Giza, the three pyramids. The one in the middle that's big is the Great Pyramid. Okay? I've been there. I've stood at the foot of that Great Pyramid. The city of Cairo has built up to be very close to the one side of that. But on the other side, there's nothing but desert for hundreds of miles. But that Great Pyramid, you stand at the base of that. There are not English words to describe that thing. I mean, you stand there and you try to come up with monumental, amazing, unbelievable, unfreaking believable, and you'd run out. You can't. There are no English words to describe the grandeur and the I'm struggling right now. This thing is 480 feet tall. That's over 100 feet taller than the Eiffel Tower over at Kings Island. Okay, and a pyramid shape, so just as broad. It was made out of tens of thousands of blocks the size of this stage. Each of those blocks made of rock that weigh each tens of thousands of pounds. This was 4,000 years ago. Each of those blocks is put together seamlessly with, with tunnels in between putting together seamlessly in a, in a precision that would be unobtainable today. You ask scientists and builders today to build that thing, there's no way. We couldn't do it. You stand at the base of that thing and you look out that way for hundreds of miles. There's sand. Hundreds of miles sand. There's a city back there that was not there at the time. Where did they get them? Where did they get these blocks? How did they get them here? There's, there's, not a, there's not a mine right like there where you can chip away at some stuff and then move it a few feet. No. That stuff came from hundreds of miles away. 
tens of thousands of pounds each, thousands of them, 400. You run out of description. How in the world, given our thinking, you run out? Okay, I'm going to read a couple of excerpts of this book. Really interesting book. It's called The Genius of Ancient Man. And you can get this online through Answers in Genesis. But I want to read a couple of excerpts out of this. Okay, this is regarding ancient man. Some brief examples of the advanced science include the chemistry of the Egyptians and the making of cosmetics into pigment. The ancient chemists were able to manufacture artificially, artificial lead-based components and add them to cosmetics. The ancient Greeks worked, uh, uh, had working steam boilers, and the Egyptians even had slot machines for holy water. The Chinese were well known for their ancient technology, credited with the invention of movable type, with writing paper, the seismograph, and the first mechanical clock. Still another example of ancient intelligence is found in the statues of Ramses II. They were all perfectly symmetrical, and under computer analysis, it is evident that the builders used the Pythagorean triangle and the golden triangle in their architecture. This amazing symmetry has scholars debating whether the Egyptians had actually given Pythagoras his triangle concepts. These are just a few examples of the great technology of scientific advancements of, of ancient man. More astonishing even is, is there examples of uh, astrological sophistication, knowledge of the universe. Accurate charts and perfectly aligned monuments testify to the careful study of the night skies. There's even evidence from the many structures to show that ancient man had the advanced knowledge of astronomical movements, including the process of precession. Precession is the minute shifting of the constellations as the earth wobbles in its spin approximately one degree every 72 years. Even in their legends, they use numbers indicating the knowledge of the precession concept, and many of their structures are aligned with these movements in mind. Researcher James Niehaus describes how these numbers and the precession knowledge is found everywhere in the cultures and legends of the ancient people. He brings this a step further and says that with with it, they were able to easily travel and accurately map the globe. Further evidence of advanced astronomy is, is evident in the worship of Sirius A and Sirius B, the binary stars. Both the Dogon people of Africa as well as ancient Egyptians and Babylonians worships these two stars, which from the naked eye seem to be only one star. It is incredible to me to ponder what men would have been like closer to the image of God. And again, I, I don't know what that would be like. You know, 6,000 years later, to be so far removed. You know, we, we, we see ourselves in this light of such intelligence and such capability. But it's really only because we have the technology of the computers and things like that to offset our, our, our troubles and offset our, our shortcomings. But people... Years and thousands of years ago, we were able to do incredible things. And the position of, of uh, Answers in Genesis is that they weren't able to do that because they were so close to the actual image of God. Now, I even wondered uh, just the other day, I was thinking, you know, pre-flood, the Bible talks about men living 
routinely seven, eight, nine hundred years. And then after the flood, things changed. Our atmosphere changed dramatically and, and people began having much, much shorter lifespans. And now we find ourselves with, you know, we're lucky if we live 80 or 90 years. But I was thinking, I wonder if an eternal God really had it in his original plan to have eternal people. Um, and, and because of our sin, because of our disobedience, because of our dis, uh, misbehavior, because of years and years and decades and hundreds and thousands of years of declining DNA and disease and all of that stuff, we find ourselves in a position now and we think so grandly of, of how smart we are and how capable we are. And every year we get smarter and smarter. Well, no. We're able to offset our shortcomings because of cell phones and things like that, but we're not even... We're far removed from the original. From the original. And so I want to stop and think, what if... What if I could pray, what if you could pray in faith and ask God to restore in me just a teeny tiny semblance of his original image? What would that be like? What, what would I be like intellectually and physically and emotionally? What would it be like to be closer to the image of God? What if? Okay, hold that thought. Piece number two, that, that whole thing was piece number one. Okay, piece number two, I'm going to call uh, distorted or hijacked purpose. And this comes from a kind of a compilation or a combination of two or three things that Jeff has talked about over the last few months in this stand series, uh, going back to Easter and beyond. Uh, the first thing is purpose. Not only were we created on purpose and in his image, we just talked about that, but we were also created for a purpose. Okay. Again, let that sink in. God created us not just for fun and games, but for a purpose. And he gave even every single one of us, each of us, he gave special gifts and talents and abilities and passions that are unique to us. My gift set mix, talent mix is different than arts and arts is different than Brad's. And we all have a unique gift, talent set of gifts that God gave us on purpose and for a purpose. Okay, and that purpose is, you always wonder, what, so what is my purpose? Well, the, in my book, my purpose or our purpose is to use those gifts, calling on the Holy Spirit to magnify their effectiveness to increase God's kingdom. Okay, so I pray, God, use those gifts you gave me. Add the Holy Spirit's power and help me to rock and roll for your kingdom. Help me to do damage for your kingdom. That's my purpose. That's our, that's your purpose in life, and God created us on purpose for a purpose. Okay, but the problem is that many of us, and maybe even most of us, our purpose—if we were really, really honest—our purpose is to wake up every day and just kind of survive and not screw up. We wake up every day, we think, "Well, if I could just get through this week and not mess it up, I'll be good." You know, how many of us wake up, greet Jesus? Talk to the Holy Spirit and say, would you magnify those incredible gifts that you gave me and help me to do damage and rock and roll for your kingdom today? I, I would dare say that not very many of us do that when we wake up in the morning and go through our day. And most of us go through our day just trying to survive and not screw up. What kind of a purpose is that? Another thing that Jeff talked about um, 
This was on Easter Sunday. And I remember I, I usually sit in, in the back there against the wall. And uh, this was, he had several points. He was trying to fit them all in in Easter. And I remember go, sitting back there going, that, oh, I wish he would camp out on that for a little while longer. And that was, he was talking about the power of the resurrection living in us. Okay, just think about that again. Let it sink in. The power, the mighty grandeur of the resurrection, and I'm going to add in the creation, lives as a believer, lives inside of me. The very power that put the stars in place, that put the sun 93 million miles away from the earth, not 92 million miles because we'd all burn up, not 94 million miles because we'd all freeze. The power that did that lives inside of me and you as a believer. Again, the problem is we wake up every morning. Woe is me. I'm feeling defeated because of this thought pattern that I can't get away from. I'm feeling defeated because of this addiction I can't bust. I'm feeling defeated because my relationship skills are such that I'm always in trouble with this whatever relationship. I'm feeling defeated because I'm feeling purposeless. Woe is me. I hope I don't screw up today. Now, I want you to see how disjointed that is from the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the creation of this world and this universe lives inside of me. What if, and I was, I'm feeling convicted just along with you, hopefully, as I was thinking about this. Okay, I'm thinking, okay, I can't get away from this thought pattern. And woe is me, I just can't beat it. Woe is me, this is happening. And I'm thinking, when did I claim and really believe the power of the resurrection, the living, the power? You think that power has, couldn't just snap a finger and that problem be gone? I never claim it. I don't believe it. We don't believe it. We don't claim it. What if? What if I would wake up every morning and say, God, you created the heavens and the earth. You rose Jesus from the dead. I claim that power and whatever I'm dealing with stands no chance. I'm, tired, I'm ready to rock and roll for your kingdom. What if I started every single day like that? What if? Okay. Piece number three. This comes from um, a couple of weeks ago. And so for me, this was kind of the piece that wove it all together for me. Um, I, was, I was with my parents over in Anderson, Indiana, and um, I was telling my dad about this communion supper we had out here in the foyer uh, leading up to Easter. And if you didn't come to attend that, that was really great. You'll have to do it next year. But I was telling him about how unique and how creative that was and how fun it was. And so, and so we were reliving that and having a good time. And he said, well, let me tell you about this uh, message that I t told our men, men's group leading up to Easter. And he said, this was kind of an equally aha kind of holy bumps message for, it was for him. And so, uh, this was the piece that kind of put this together. And so I don't have a name for this. He didn't have a name for it, but I'm going to call it joint heirs. And this is really, um, kind of guiding us through, um, the development or the stages of relationship of Jesus and his people that he hung out with during his ministry. Okay, and I think it has everything to do with with our relationship with him. Okay, so we're going to walk through that. And we're going to start in uh, John chapter one. So this is 
the context here is Jesus is calling his first disciples. All right. And so I want you to pay attention to the the relationship that he had with these men. Okay, this happens to be uh, about the guy named Nathaniel. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said to him, now here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How did you know me? Nathaniel asked. And Jesus answered, well, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree over there before Philip called you. Okay, so what was the relationship between Jesus and Nathaniel at that time? They're strangers, right? They, they didn't know each other. They had never met. Okay, Nathaniel had not met this guy named Jesus. And he comes up saying strange things to him. And that was common to the other. You know, Jesus went to the seashore, talked to, to, to uh, Peter and the gang about fishing. Hey, why don't you go toss the net over there? They caught a lot of fish. And hey, why don't you follow me? They didn't know each other before that. There's a tax collector at the tax booth. Matthew, they didn't know each other. So these guys were strangers. They, they never met. Okay, so let's move forward. Let's skip forward um, to chapter 15. Fast forward about two years. And this is uh, during a time where Jesus was predicting his death to his disciples. And he was instructing them about uh, things to come and what they should do and how they should act and that sort of thing. Okay, listen to the words describing their relationship. Comes real early here, chapter 15, verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. Okay, so they were strangers and now they're friends. Okay, they spent a couple of years together living together, doing incredible things. Now they're friends. Okay, we're going to skip forward to chapter 20. And the context here is Jesus is standing by the tomb talking to Mary after he uh, came back from the dead. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the father. Go instead to my brothers now. Okay, and tell them I'm returning to my father and your father to my God and your God. Okay, so they were strangers. Then they were friends and now he calls them brothers. All right. That's pretty cool to me. OK, now we're going to fast forward to Romans. This is Romans chapter eight. Because those uh, who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive a spirit that makes you a slave against fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we're children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And so now he's referring to me and to you as a co-heir. Uh, Jeff talked just briefly about this last week when you mentioned the royal family and all that and the new birth. Pick, again, picture in your head. Let it sink in. If you were a prince or a princess, if you were an heir to the throne, what would you what would your life be like? What would your daily routine be like? What would your attitudes more importantly? What would your what would your zest for life? What would your attitude toward your privilege or what's coming to you if you knew 
that you were an heir to the throne, to the kingdom. And we've all seen the fairy tales and we and the princes and princesses and the queens and the kings. They live a completely different life than we do, right? Because they are heirs to the kingdom. They are going to inherit the very kingdom. Okay. again, let this sink in. We, according to the Bible, are joint heirs. We are heirs to the kingdom, not of Great Britain or not of Monaco or wherever. We are heirs to the kingdom of the universe. We are sons and daughters of the living king who created the stars and the sky and the land and the fish. And the, we, are, we are heirs to that. But how many of us live attitudinally, I don't even know if that's a word, live with an attitude that reflects that? Again, we wake up in the morning, if I could just survive today and not mess up, things will be okay. Weigh that with I wake up and I get out of bed because I know that I am an heir to the kingdom of the universe. I am a son of the living God that created all of this. I have all of the privileges. I have all of the power. I have all of the trappings that come along with that. What if I truly believed that? Okay, so for me, this is this puzzle that's come together in my head. And I want you to live with me with, within that. Okay? God created me in his image. And I have to confess that when I close my eyes and think of that, I don't even know what that looks like, but it has to be like way cooler than what I'm projecting it to be. I was created with the very image of God. I have a purpose that is extraordinary I have the power of the resurrection and the creation living inside me. And I am an heir to the throne. How would my life change? How would my daily routine change? How would my interaction with the people in my sphere of influence change? How would my work life change? How would my recreational life change? How would my hobbies change? I mean, you go down the list. What would life be like? What if I really believed that? And so uh, we're going to close today. Uh, I made first service ponder for two minutes. I'm going to make you do the same thing. And you'll, realize, you'll, you'll, you'll uh, find out that two minutes is a really long time when, when you're pondering, when you're not doing anything. Okay? So we're going to ponder for two minutes. And uh, I want you to just close your eyes. And I want you to think, what if... And I want you to talk to God. Don't use big churchy words that, you know, flowery stuff. I want you to use your words. Okay? And I want you to talk to Jesus, talk to God, talk to the Holy Spirit. And I want you to say, oh, what if I could live like I really believe this? Ready, set, go.
Jesus, thank you for creating me in your image. And I have to confess that I don't, I don't even know what that would be like. But I just pray that you would somehow, uh, in your will, just, just restore maybe just a, even a little bit of that. And I probably can't handle a whole lot of it because I'd probably go crazy because it's just too incredible. But Jesus, I pray that you would uh, restore in me a little bit of your original image, a lot of your power, a lot of your sonship. And help me to wake up every day and just claim that and believe it. Not just say it, not just kind of, you know, pass it off as a nice thought, but really, really believe it. And I just look forward. I thank you in advance for the just, uh, just the crazy fun things that are going to come out of that. I love you and, and, and I just uh, I just pray that you would just work in me something that's incredible and then give me the gumption to talk about it. We praise you. You're awesome. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Alright, well happy Sunday. Have a great day.